Hello, and welcome to the OnTIC Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Fred Burton, the Executive Director of the OnTIC Center for Protective Intelligence. During my years as a counterterrorism agent with the U.S. State Department and time spent as a physical security expert in the private sector, I've seen it all and met many fascinating people along the way. This podcast series explores the riveting world of protective intelligence through conversations with leaders in the security field. I'm Fred Burton, and now on to the podcast. Hi, I'm Fred Burton, here today with New York Times bestselling thriller writer, Ted Bell. Ted is the former chairman of the board and creative director of Young and Rubicam, one of the world's largest advertising agencies. He is a New York Times bestselling author of the Alex Hawk series, as well as the young adult adventure novels, Nick of Time and The Time Pirate. He has recently been writer in residence at Cambridge University in the United Kingdom and visiting scholar at the Department of Politics and International Relations. Ted, welcome to the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I've really been looking forward to this all week. My goodness, Ted, uh, the success you've had with your books is just simply amazing. How did you get into this business of writing books? First of all, I got promoted from the second grade to the third grade. <laughs> no, this is, that's true. And in the third grade, all I, I was obsessed with reading, and um, which you learned in the first grade back in those days. And all I wanted to do was was just read. I took a book everywhere I went. I was like, well, I guess you're eight years old in the third grade. And then I decided, hey, I could do this. And so I started writing short stories uh, for my home class teacher. Um, and they were, you know, the old thing, write what you know, which is an expression I've never understood. But all I knew about in those days was the 50s was UFOs and cowboys. So I wrote stories about cowboys on a cattle drive from Bozeman to, to, to Zuma, and UFOs appear in the sky and tractor beam all the cowboys out of their saddles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead serious. You know, and, and, the, and the title of that story, which is in a box somewhere, was Little Green Men. <laughs> that was, that's how I got into it. <laughs> that's amazing. Now, your Alex Hawk series, what inspired you to write a spy novel? Well, I think I was inspired by Ian, who uh, is, is a great hero of mine. And I read the first Bond book when I was 13 and then read them all that summer. And I just, I loved everything about the world that he opened up to me. You know, I was living in a small town on the Gulf Coast of Mexico. And I, you know, our idea of excitement was putting playing cards with clothespins in the wheels of our bicycle to make them sound like motorcycles. That was it. And now I'm reading about Aston Martins and Babes and Bullets and <laughs> Paris. And I got, whoa, I think, I think there's a bigger world out there for me. And, and that's really true. It's not just about writing, but he just made me see that my provincial little small town southern life was maybe not going to be the end of the line. That there was a whole lot more out there that was much more exciting and glamorous and, and fun. and. Uh, than what I what I knew, and so I think the two were sort of intertwined. The 
the, the change in my perspective on what the world was all about and the change in my perspective about writing a spy novel, just how well it was done. So I was, that, that's when I was 13 years old. So that, that was kind of the beginning. When you look at uh, this genre, Ted, we have a tremendous amount of followers that listen to our podcast that are protection officers, security agents. They're in this space. They love reading thrillers. And you have on December 7th, the 12th Alex Hawk thriller coming out, and that's called Seahawk. How tough is it to carry on a character or a series for 12 books? It's not. It, it, I have to be honest with you. I get asked that. It's not tough. I mean, when I sit down to start a new one and I'm like halfway into the prologue or the first chapter and I start hearing characters like uh, Chief Inspector Ambrose Congreve of Scotland Yard start talking to Detective Superintendent Soakley Jones Jr. Of, uh, of NYPD and they're talking and laughing and telling jokes. I'm like, I'm there. I'm in, I love this. I mean, I could listen to those guys talk all day. And that's kind of what I do. I don't know. Maybe you can answer this question for me because I've always thought I was just sort of weird. But I don't, people say, isn't dialogue hard to write? And my answer has always been from the very beginning. No, you just listen to what they're saying and write it down. You don't sit there and say, and so Bob said, well, I guess it's time to like break for lunch, chief. Yes, it is, Bob. We should break for lunch. It, it's not, it, you're not thinking about what they're going to say before you write it down. You're just waiting for it to appear. Like you're watching these, these two actors, you know, uh, in your head having an exchange of dialogue and you just write down what they say. That's, so it's for, in that way, at least, it's not hard for me. Yeah, that's uh, very sound advice. We we also have a tremendous number of people that listen to this podcast that want to write their first story, Ted. And you've had such an amazing career over the years in writing books. What would be some of the advice that you would pass along for those individuals wanting to write their first novel? First of all, somebody who, who labored through creative writing courses in college and never le learned anything. I think the secret, at least the, the, the trick for me, not the secret, but what, what worked for me was I had an absolute adoration for novels and novelists of all kinds, you know, from Graham Greene, Scott Fitzgerald, Raymond Carver. I mean, I just, that's all I did my childhood and into high school and into college and even to this day. All they did when I had a moment was read a book. And I think that writers become writers because they, because they've read a lot. You know, how did you get to be a cellist on the stage at, at Carnegie Hall? Well, let me see. While you guys were out playing football, I was sitting in a dingy room, looking out the window, practicing my cello. You know, that's how I got to be here. Um, does that make any sense? No, it makes a heck of a lot of sense. And, you know, you mentioned uh, writers that I've been in love with forever, Ian Fleming, Graham Greene. And I can remember as an agent uh, just traveling around the world, always having one of their novels stuck in my carry-on bag or John le Carre. Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, or Tom Clancy, I mean, just icons of the industry and, and so forth. 
Who do you think influenced your writing the most? Um, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I'll tell you. He's Scott. I just, I just, I thought Scott wrote like an angel. And I just, I think his writing is just pure beauty. And um, I've actually stood in the, in the 12 by 8 bedroom where Scott was born and felt this incredible feeling came over me. Just that, like I'm standing in the room where my idol, but the guy I revere most of all, and I'm standing here where he was born uh, in St. Paul. And um, I was on a book tour and it was unbelievable. This friend of mine who lived there was driving me all over St. Paul and he took me to the house where Scott was born. And then a guy, an English professor who lived in Scott's apartment, saw us standing down there looking at the bronze plaque about birthplace of F. Scott Fitzgerald. He said, you boys want to come up and see Mr. Fitzgerald's apartment? I said, uh, yeah, I, yeah, okay. If you want us to, we'd love to. And so we did. And so we went up and um, I just walked around in a dream. Like, I can't believe I'm here. And then I went back. He took me back to the hotel. So I, I walk into to, to my room and the phone is ringing. I pick it up and it's Emily Bessler, who is my editor at Simon & Schuster at that point. And, and from, from a tiny little town in West Virginia. And she said, Ted, are you sitting down right now? I said, no, Emily, I'm not. Should I? She said, yeah, you better go ahead and sit down. I said, all right, what's up? She said, your book just hit the New York Times bestseller list. <laughs> and I started crying. <laughs> I like, okay. I started the day standing in Scott Fitzgerald, the room where he was born, and now here I am getting this news on the phone. So things are looking pretty good. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you a little about Ontech's Center for Protective Intelligence. In the world of protective intelligence, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial. This is why we created the Ontech Center for Protective Intelligence. We're regularly sharing strategies and best practices, insights learned from current and historical trends, as well as lessons learned from physical security experts like you. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontech.co slash center. That's ontech.co slash center. And I saw, Ted, that you were actually a writer in residence over in the UK. Mm -hmm. Yes, I was. That seemed to be a fascinating kind of uh, position to be in. Yeah. Well, it was pretty fascinating in a lot of ways. I mean, I was shocked and thrilled to be nominated or invited or whatever the hell you call it. I met this guy um, at, at a political fundraiser in Palm Beach and, uh, and, and started talking to him. Uh, and he said, what do you do? And I told him, you know, that I wrote spy novels. And he said, well, I know a little bit about that business. Didn't give away more than that. Um, but over time I, I began to realize that, that he, he was CIA and, and not only that, but his wife was CIA and his wife's father was, uh, director of CIA. Oh my. And so I took him to lunch a few days and he just said, 
so what do you what are you what are you doing now? I said, well, I'm starting to get bored with Putin, so I'm going to like move towards China and uh, and the way they're getting more and more belligerent. This is like six years ago, eight years ago. I said they're getting more and more belligerent, more and more aggressive. It's going to be a problem coming up, and I want to start dealing with it in my book. And he said, well, give me an example of a problem you're aware of. And this is a CIA guy that I'm talking to. And I said, the fact that they're claiming that uh, the South China Sea is restricted only to Chinese transit. And he said, this is an idea. And I told it to Al Haig. And I said, what, what, here's what I think we should do, Al. We should get all of our allies, all the Western allies, to contribute the largest ship they've got in their mercantile navy or their military navy. And we line them up and we sail right through the South China Sea in broad daylight and let them figure out what they're going to do about it. I said, I like that. So I put it in the book. <laughs> and um, and so this guy's name, he, he was he was very much in the news a few months ago. Uh, and his name was Stefan Halper, H-A-L-P-E-R. But Stefan started reading my books and became completely hooked on them. And we became friends. And he had a, a farm in Maryland when he wasn't living. So he was, he was, the, um, he was the life fellow at Maudlin College at Cambridge, which is about as high as you can go. And so that's where he was most of the time was in Cambridge. But then he had his farm in Maryland. And I spent, started spending a lot of time with him. And then he showed up at a book signing at the 86th Street Barnes & Noble in New York on this rainy night. And I saw him and I went over to say hi. And he said, oh, Ted, I want you to meet Richard. He's a good friend of mine from England. And uh, he loves your books, too. I introduced him. And so Richard and I want to know if you're free for dinner. I said, absolutely, I'm free for dinner. And so we, the three of us went to this restaurant called Swifties, and we talked all night. And Richard kept asking me questions that were incredibly uh, insightful and, and smart. Uh, and they were like, well, what makes you think that Putin would re react the way you had him react when they, whatever? And I say, because I spent months and ever, like, analyzing all of his conversations and his biographies and and on and on and on it went. And at the end of the night, Stefan, Richard got up to get a cocktail and and Stefan leans over to me and says, Richard thinks it would be really wonderful we could have you uh, on the faculty at Cambridge. Would you be willing to do that? And I said, yes. I mean, Cambridge is spy heaven, you know? That's an amazing story. Yeah, and it, it was just all true. And I... And I they sent me a formal invitation, and I signed up, and I went over there and hung out with the, oh, the funny thing was, this guy Richard, he kept saying, Richard, just happened to be Sir Richard Dearlove, who at that moment in time was chief of MI6. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't tell me that before dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and then Richard, shortly after that, uh, resigned from MI6 and became a uh, master of Pembroke College at, at Cambridge. So I still I still hung out with him. Um, so that's how that happened. That whole Cambridge thing. It was really fun. It was amazing, actually. Uh, that's a, that is an amazing story. Now, Ted, uh, 
how do you practice your craft? Do you get up and write in the mornings and the afternoon, or how do you actually go about your day and putting a story together? Well, I just, I, I find it's, um, I've always felt this way that it's best to start in the morning when you're rested and you have energy and see how far it gets you. If it gets you to noon or gets you to one or two or three, um, rather than start at three. And by six, you're kind of thinking, well, I think I need to have a cocktail now. So yeah, I, I think the the morning is the time when you're at your sort of the peak of your powers. And if you don't write all day, you don't write all day, but you, you just write as long as you can. Now, do you have plans for a 13th Alex Hawk thriller? I'm so glad you asked me that question <laughs> because I just came up with the idea for it like day before yesterday. And I'm, I'm, I'm busily negotiating my way around Hollywood studios right now. And I've got this wonderful producer and she's just so high on Alex and so high on, on the stories. And I said, I gotta, I gotta come up with a new book for not only for Random House, but to, for her, for the movie thing. And, um, I, I, I think I should not reveal the plot of this book on this. <laughs> But anyway, the title of it is Warmongers, and uh, it's it's pretty pretty hardcore. That's tremendous. Is there anything that I haven't asked you, Ted, that you would like to say? I mean, you've asked great questions. I, I, I'm, nothing pops right in my mind. I think the key thing that I would would, would try to say to people who who want to do this is to really seriously take my advice on reading all the time. And not just in your own genre, but everything, you know, Flannery O'Connor and, you know, God knows. Um, the only thing I would not recommend that they read it be The Old Man on the Sea by Ernest Hemingway, which I think was the most boring novel ever. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yet it got him a Nobel Literature Prize. So I don't know. Well, Ted, it's a pleasure having you on the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast. and. Seahawk, the new Alex Hawk thriller comes out on December 7th. So I hope that everybody that listens to this runs out and picks up a copy. Thank you so much for being on our program today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a, a, a true delight and questions were wonderful and I enjoyed talking to you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good evening. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. Again, that's ontic.co slash center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music is a track called Monte Verde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smokin' Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.ai or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. I'm Fred Burton. Thanks for listening.